Thank you. Good to hear from you, Rob. Becky, um, is now where I do the Dave sigh where he says he's had a busy week or no, we'll, we'll, we'll skip that. Sorry. Yeah. I'll bring some rare positivity yes, Dave to this. Has, <laughs> he's, he's had such a busy week that he's now taking the week off. Um, I believe the only person on this show with hundred percent attendance is me. So I'll just put my, uh, put my hand up and pat myself on the back for that. That's because um, without you, we literally can't do this. So, you know, the MVP of the the season goes job to security. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you know I, I suppose that's true in some cases. Although, um, you know, I'm sure I could teach you guys how to do the whole recording thing. But uh, in any event, um, good to have you on, Rob. Uh, we've had you on periodically throughout the season to discuss kind of the trends that we've been seeing from the Rangers, um, as you know, mostly focusing on five on five play and kind of what is. Uh, you know, uh, indications of what this team is and what it maybe could be. Um, and, you know, most of those discussions have revolved around, you know, special teams and goaltending picking up lackluster five-on-five five play. That's all changed since the trade deadline. So, I mean, we'll get a little bit more into that in detail here in just a minute. But um, you wrote a piece for Blue Seat Blogs a couple of weeks back. Just if you, give us a quick kind of 30-second recap of, of, of what you've uh, what you identified, I guess, as the the latest trends for the Rangers? I mean, the quick five-second recap is that before the trade deadline was one life, and now we're living a different life after the trade deadline. But (laughs) diving more into that, basically, um, the Rangers finally got the forward depth they absolutely needed. So we've pushed out arguably two to three AHL level or below replacement level players out of the lineup. And now we're seeing a Rangers team that um, what I love is just the speed, frankly. Um, they went and got three good skaters that can, that can play up and down the lineup, but deservedly also play mostly on the bottom with the exception of, well, Vitrano and Cop, but they're doing amazing. Um, and what's really been interesting is they started playing better even before the deadline, and I think they've really started to hone in on Gallant's uh, mantra or system, if you will, because they're shots and chances against specifically the last 10 to 20 games have just consistently declined. So that is really the re- the numbers are saying that's why they're succeeding, but also their expected goals for and shots for are also on the rise. So you've really got the best of both worlds um, with the exception of maybe some spotty goaltending from both goaltenders, to be honest, but more so the backup, as we all know. Yeah, and I wanted to, I think the last three games the Rangers have played uh, are actually a a microcosm of kind of what you've uh, described, Rob, or or maybe we've seen, uh, let's say we've seen a little bit of everything that you've just described kind of sprinkled throughout those three games. And to be fair, the results have been uh, at least a little bit uneven, right? There was one regulation win over the Devils, there was a shootout loss to the Flyers, and there was pretty much an absolute ass-kicking of a loss to the Islanders. Um so let's start with that Islander game. And that was sort of the 
the horseshit game, as Gerard Gallant called it, the game where we shit our pants, as Artemi Panarin said. <laughs> um, but the funny thing about that, even that game, was that the Rangers dominated the shots and scoring chances. So, I mean, Becky, I want to get your view on that. Uh, you know, do, do you take any comfort away when you watch a game like that? And look, the Rangers didn't play well. I'm not saying that they did, but at least knowing that, you know, they didn't give up like 60 shots on goal in the process and only get 15 of their own. It's funny, right, because it basically, and and this is not meant to be a me saying that there are two sides or whatever, but, like, it's it's so funny because we watched AV for so long and, you know, the AV Rangers for so long and they would get just obliterated in shots and somehow, by the grace of Henrik Lundqvist, still win the game. And on one hand, it was like, well, at least we're winning. And on the other hand, it was like, holy shit, like watching every game makes me want to die. Um, I don't think the Islanders game made me feel good, even though it wasn't like that. Um, I expected that maybe it would make like I would still be like, eh, whatever. But like being shut out at home to the Islanders literally never feels good. So <laughs> it just I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I felt better, I guess, when we talk about the Flyers game, which wasn't great for a while, you know, or or wasn't results driven for a while. But um, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a minute or two. But the Islander game, I did not feel great. Also did not feel great because my sometimes Islander fan brother was texting me. Shout out to Josh. You'll never, ever listen to this, but <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you about it this weekend. Yeah, naturally, um, <clears throat> Islander fans were getting a little... Uh, you know, boastful and confident uh, about their chances of making a, a miracle run to the playoffs, but a loss to the Dallas Stars, a, a couple of more points for the Rangers, and, and you know, the, all the teams ahead of them continuing to march towards solidifying their spots, and I think it's safe to say the Islanders are not going to be part of the uh, of the dance this spring. But You better um, knock on every wood around you, because <laughs> if not, yes. I don't even know. <laughs> Well, there's something like 23 or 24 points behind the Rangers, at least. So I think it's safe to say they're I'm not going to catch the Rangers. I'm just saying. So you're saying the there's a chance. The <laughs> so you're saying um, there's a chance. Rob, one of the things you mentioned, and I, I think this will come even more to light when we talk about the devil game in a minute, but uh, the fact that the Rangers have gotten better, a lot better defensively. Now, we've been harping on the offense most of the year because, you know, outside of the top four players plus Adam Fox – there really was no offense. And that was, that was, I think the main driver of, of so much, so many of, of the Rangers issues. But um, you, and you mentioned that, that they have been at least to your eye a little bit better or, or, or or more um, tuned into dialed into what Gerard Gallant wants them to do. So, you know, I I think you're right. Also that, that, um, you know, or or I was going to say, I think that came to fruition even in the, Islander game. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like they also didn't give up a lot of chances in that game either. And I mean, I guess the question is, you know, what do you think they're, what are they doing differently? Like, is it, is it just execution? Is it better deployment? Is it more from the forwards? Like, do you have, what is your sort of, what, like, what are your eyes telling you in addition to what the numbers, you know, have shown? So, I feel it's kind of twofold. I mean, one, it's we'll start with a complaint in the sense of we've kind of seen it all year where they're a dump and chase team, and that's almost to it was definitely to a fault, I think, over the course of the winter. But with the better forwards, they've been able to retrieve more. It seems there's been more sustained zone time in the past eight games for sure since the deadline, and even a little bit before that. 
But then specific to the numbers of sh- shots and chances going down for against the Rangers, um, it does just seem like they're just keeping teams to the outside more. And it's especially prevalent the moment they go up one nothing and God forbid they go up 2 nothing or 3 nothing. They just seem to lock it straight down, which kind of makes sense when you look back on Gallant's team historically. Um, you know, I, I do think it's a little bit of a combination of maybe Lindgren and Fox coming back around after that midseason odd ten to twelve games. I think Keandre Miller, which will probably who will probably touch on, I should say, um, has really come into his own. And you know, the Miller Trooper pairing is playing so well that even I've stopped uh, trying to break that pair up. <laughs> Although you know, I'll never stop trying, but that's not the point. Um, I, I just, I really do think that it's a combination and uh, well, let me, let me just give it this example. Inversely in that Islanders game, when the Islanders went up one Oh and two Oh, I mean, the Rangers were peppering them. Yeah. I think that I'm pretty sure the numbers were great. I'm not staring at them, but that being said, it's almost like if the Rangers go up one or two Oh in that game, it probably ends up three nothing Rangers because they're mm-hmm. just not going to give up the chances or shots against that. They were giving up in that really bad December, January run. Yeah, it's interesting you kind of mentioned that the defense also has improved even before the deadline. And I think it was Steve Valaket said on one of the post-game shows that, you know, he has them down and clear sight analytics obviously is going to differ from the public models. And, you know, I know that we can debate the public versus private stuff and how, you know, his expected goals models uh, differ from some of the other ones that we're familiar with. But, you know, not to get too technical, he said, look, pretty much since January, I have the Rangers down as one of the, the one of the five best teams in the NHL in terms of limiting scoring chances against. You know, they just do not give up in terms of volume as many high danger chances as, you know, most of the rest of the league. So, you know, I, I agree with you. I think the, the, the defensive has just come into its own. I mean, Keandre Miller has become a true shutdown defenseman. And, you know, in a way, I think, like you said, he the, the Rangers have kind of stumbled backwards into um, – the ideal pair partner for Jacob Truba, who's always thrived next to a more defensive minded partner. I think, you know, plenty of examples of his career prior to being a Ranger have shown that. And yeah, Fox and Lingren have certainly rebounded. Um, But yeah, so moving on to the, to the Philly game, you know, Becky, you mentioned that one that, so the Rangers go down three, nothing in that game and mount an absolutely furious third period comeback. You know, they get three goals in the space of probably 10 minutes or so. Um, you know, tie the game up and then obviously had a bunch of chances to win it, end up losing in the shootout. But, you know, what was your main kind of takeaway from that game? And, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just leave it at that. You know, what did you take away from from the Philly game? That was more of like the, you know, the Rangers, the comeback Rangers that you've seen. The like, how about them Rangers? You can't count them out. And so it wasn't great that, you know, they they could have won that game, right? Again, that was one of those where it's like the opposite of an AV Ranger team where you're like, shit, they really should mm-hmm. like win this game. And that was the game that I felt, I definitely felt better than the Islanders. I mean, I didn't look, I didn't feel great the first two periods when I was like, are they ever going to score a goal again? Like sources say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But once they scored, like I, I had faith. And then once they scored, I was like, it was like one of those, like, in, in freaking My Cousin Vinny when, like, you know, Mona Lisa's on, on the stand and, like, Joe Pesci's just like, watch this. Like, I knew some good shit was about to happen, and I really <laughs> hope people understand that reference. But anyway, um, it was I, – I felt better about that game. Even though they got a loss, they got a point. They were up on Pittsburgh still, like, in points. That's what matters right now. And so I was like, you know, whatever. Let's keep going. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the thing that stands out to me is I, I personally think that was Artemi Panarin's best individual oh, game of the well. season. Yeah, I mean, I there mean, were four. They, the Rangers had, what, three goals in that game? And, like, I think somehow Panarin had, like, eight assists in that game. I don't know how. <laughs> the math doesn't yeah. work, but he was ridiculous. The, the pass he made to Andrew Kopp for the tying goal was yeah. just absolutely insane. I mean, you know, so... It, and I think Rob, you know, you're you're a player. I know you know we hear a lot about your men's league exploits in the group chat. Um, I'm trying to learn how to play currently. I'm I'm kind of in the early stages, but to do what he did, which was basically, you know, stop at the blue line and lay a soft pass into an area not uh, too close to the goalie, so that the goalie would just jump on top of it and cover it, but not too close to cop, so that you know a defender could reach out and poke it. Pretty much put it in the perfect spot with the perfect weight and speed on it was just ridiculous. And then, you know, cop drives to the net, taps it in. And, you know, he also, I think, you know, of the, of the four deadline additions that the Rangers have made, I, I think everybody kind of has their own favorites. I've heard people say, even though he doesn't have a point that Tyler Mott is their favorite addition they've made for me, it's cop. I, I don't know about you, Rob, Who, who's your guy? Are you a Toronto guy? Are you a cop guy? What do you, what do you think about uh, who's your favorite addition they've made and, and why? I mean, all around, first of all, yeah, just on that pass, the best part about that pass was, when you're receiving that pass, because I grew up playing, well, mostly winger and then flip the center, but Panera made it so easy. All he had to do was get his body there and get his stick there, and then you just whack that thing. Obviously, he's whacking it yeah. in a much more accurate way than you and I can do, but <laughs> it's 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 that simple, though, and it's just so easy to play with a guy like Panera when he can do stuff like that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you got to leave with Cop. Cop's been <laughs> – I was looking at his hockey viz uh, with or without you, and Cop is up, like, bordering on that little good corner in the top right and the rest of the team is just down towards the middle it's it's insane what he's done even in eight games he's been everything is advertised um i love vitrano too as well um i ha- i was texting um my brother and a couple of cousins when that deal went down and they said they basically went and bought low on a shooter who's not shooting well and this team definitely needed a shooter um so if you're gonna play anybody in that top six that maybe you know from an all-around standpoint doesn't fully deserve to be there. Vitrano's a fine option to be up there. And again, I kind of let off with the show. I mean, Mott's a hell of a skater. He's constantly buzzing around there between him and Brzezinski, just throwing their bodies and, and just, just like moving around so quickly. It's just such a different look than uh, two and a half weeks ago. I, I just, that's what I'm most impressed with. Um, and oh, j- just a quick note on that Philly game. That was the largest Corsi, meaning shot attempt differential of the year. And a top 10 expected goal differential, they completely brought it compared to that uh, Islanders game where yeah. the Islanders just stunk it up defensively. But anyway, yeah, Cop, Vitrano, yeah. Mott, love them all. Braun's coming around. It's all good stuff. <laughs> yeah, Becky, who's your uh, favorite of the, of, the, of the new four? Well, it's not Braun because he got the hat the other night and he didn't deserve it. Um, <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I like Mott, but that's like – not really for any reason other than I'm just like I like them all and I don't want to pick one and I just like Mott like I like his like the whole mental health angle that he's taken so like nothing on the on the ice but I don't know I like them all like why do I have to pick one well I was just I was just more of a curiosity that well because you know and I I think that to Rob's point they've all brought Braun aside because Braun's definitely not a fleet of foot (laughs) <laughs> but they've all brought speed. And I think that was the thing that, that I didn't expect about Vetrano. You know, I think yeah. you read enough about, you know, the shot. And you're like, all right, he had 24 goals once. And, 
you know, the first thing you read about with is, is just his shot. And you could see it right away. The guy's got a, an outstanding, heavy, very quickly released wrist shot, like that gets on the goalie like immediately. And it surprises goalies. I mean, the Mika goal in the Philly game, uh, Vetrano shot it off of um, who was the goalie that night. It was, um, oh, I can't remember now. He shot it off the guy's mask. Uh, and yeah, and oh, his advantage yeah. had like had a wide open rebound. It like dislodged yeah, yeah, yeah. the mask off the goal. Can't teach face. that shot. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, ridiculous. No, but, but he's also a pain thing... in the ass to to play against. Yes, and he's really fast. He's much faster than I thought he would be. Becky, I'll, um, I'll vote for Mott as well because he helps keep out a certain uh, Greg McKegarator out of the elf, out of the, <laughs> yeah. so. the egg. Yeah, exactly. He is the egg. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they've all just fit so well. And I think, you know, look, Chris Drury definitely deserved credit. Uh, I know we have varying feelings about him and, and there's there's plenty of mistakes to still pick at. But but I also think that it looks like the team is, has fully moved on from those mistakes. We'll see how things play down the road. And, and obviously this is a big offseason, but we've got plenty of time to discuss that. The, the four guys that they identified and brought in have fit so perfectly that, you know, because... Uh, I also had this fear because, you know, Rob, I remember when we were talking about this before the deadline, you essentially were like, I want an entirely new third line. (laughs) Like, I just want to I want a new third line. I want three new players. And I thought to myself, like, well, wouldn't that disrupt the team? Right. Wouldn't that disrupt the chemistry? Like, I couldn't think of an example where, like, a contending team went out and brought in an entire new line. Right. Normally you'd sort of like you know supplement you know your top six or your bottom six and eventually i'm sure that's what this will end up looking like but they, they went out and got three brand new forwards that that are going to play every single game and it's worked you know and and i think that that you know look jury he deserves credit for that for sure um so last last bit on the on the on the recent games uh, you know tuesday night's win over the devil's very strange game in the sense that there were, you know, other than the first period where the Rangers kind of woke up after the Braden Schneider hit, fight, uh, instigator, penalty, extravaganza, which, you know, we could talk about a little bit as well. Um, nothing really happened in the game. I mean, the Rangers got out to a two on lead. The Devils had six shots in the second period and the Rangers had one. I think the Rangers had three shots in the in the third period, but they never looked like they were out of control of the game. And that was... You know, that was to me, I thought, I think my takeaway from that game was even though the Devils aren't a necessarily a quality opponent, although they are pretty good offensively, that was the type of game where it was sort of a playoff style game. Like you're, you're, you know, you're on the road. It's a team that they had lost to twice in a row as well. And they had just gotten, they had just gotten their asses kicked the last time they played them pretty badly. Um, And they responded with what was a very, sort of just mature and business-like defensive performance. And, you know, I just don't think that type of game was in this team's DNA up until very recently. Um, so, uh, you know, I thought it was a quality win for that reason alone, even if, you know, the offense certainly didn't light the world on fire. Um, but, Becky, I got to get your thoughts on, or I want you to share your thoughts with our, our listeners about Braden Schneider and what he brought to the table with that hit on, um, I guess it was Boquist, and then subsequently having to fight and frankly kick the crap out of uh, Yegor Sharangovich. You guys, I don't like fights. I just I'm just throwing that out there, right? Yes, we are not pugilists on this podcast to be to be perfectly honest. But <laughs> however, and yet There's a time um, and a place. <laughs> yeah, and I I mean, here's the thing. That was a stupid fight, but I'm also glad that 
Schneider kicked the ever-loving shit out of him. So the hit itself was beautiful. I mean, absolutely, perfectly legal, beautiful. You can't look at that hit from any angle and be like, I don't know, kind of looked like he targeted his head. Like, it was beautiful. And Boquist had his eyes on Schneider. So, like, I I don't, Mm -hmm. it's not even like his head was down. Like, he saw him. He was like, well, I guess I'm just going to, like, run into this dude and, like, just got absolutely fucking trucked. So, fine. Like, that's the part of hockey. I mean, I think, like, an open ice hit, even though it was kind of whatever. I think, like, those plays by defensemen when they're clean, like Truba does this a lot, right, are beautiful. And I love defensemen for that reason. The whole like instigator thing is so fucking stupid to me. Like, why do you need to fight? Because your your buddy just got leveled. Like, he's fine. It was a clean hit. Yeah. He's getting up. It's not like he's like injured or whatever. Like, why do you feel the need to, like, run over just to be, like, a team guy? Like, that's the thing I think I'm never going to understand because I've never played the game, not to, like, say it like that. But truly, like, I don't think I'm ever going to understand, like, the fucking hockey need to, like, throw fists at a guy for, like, making your your buddy look like an idiot. Well, I get doing it. doing his job, frankly. It's Schneider's job. Like, it's a good yeah. defensive play. No, 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 no. Right? And, like, and so. I get it if it's, like, Tom Wilson pile-driving fucking Artemi Panarin. But, like... It's not that exactly. He was doing his job. So anyway, that fight was beautiful. I really like that Schneider somehow got Sharon Govich's helmet off. Like you could tell he was like really angling to get it off. And I got to tell you, like the bruises on his head looked like like if you have a toddler, you know, they walk into shit all the time and they get like a little like bump. <laughs> and like, I feel like Sharon Govich had like six of those and like maybe a knuckle imprint. So I, I don't know, like, he didn't come back for the game, so I'm curious, and I, I definitely didn't follow up to read what happened because I just don't care that deeply, but, um, you know, it's like, fuck around and find out, and he fucked around and he found out, so it was a... Well, it's even, um, Rob, if I can just jump in, I mean, Becky, I, I'm completely with you. It's almost like it's turned into if you, if a, if a, if nobody steps up after that hit, then it's like the coach... Well, I don't even know. I don't want to call it the coach. It's it's like a collective disappointment from the team. And that might not even be true because I was always taught, at least if it's a clean hit, you take the hit, the momentum might be on the other team's side, but just go score a goal or go shut them up for a while with another hit or something like that. You don't have to right. pick a fight over it. I, I, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. It's they, they actually got the instigator call correct, which was also a rare instance that night. So yeah. it's, it's, it was refreshing yeah. to see that, but it's it yeah it's completely out of control now <laughs> i'm glad yeah, they're calling the well, instigator i mean they they didn't do it i said it last night like the truba when he had that run of like three or four like clean dominant hits that he had then to fight yeah. every single game like the first one he didn't they didn't call an instigator on whoever tried to fight him and then like the next game it happened again and they called the instigator and i've just noticed that they're i feel like they're calling the instigator more which is good it's it's positive yeah, well, and that's why it's there. But I mean, Rob, to your point as well, and I mean, you know, I, I guess in some ways I consider myself an old head now. I think people maybe read my tweets or listen to this podcast, they they might consider me a little bit of an old school fan, even though I'm, I'm not that old school. Um, but I remember watching plenty of games in the late 90s, let's say early 2000s, you know, still an era where people would say it was a little bit of a tougher game. There were a lot more enforcers. There was a lot more fights in general. And this never happened 
like a clean hit was never ever retaliated uh, or, or or answered by an immediate fight. If it was a dirty hit, or if it was a guy who was running around the rink and doing nothing but taking kind of late shots uh, at at guys, yeah, he would maybe throw a what you deem a clean hit and then have to fight. But that's only because he'd taken five you know cheap hits you know in his previous four shifts. So. Yep. You know, to me, this is like a brand new phenomenon in, in the NHL. And I suppose that's why the instigator is there, right? Because that's the deterrent. It's an automatic 17 minutes in penalties. It's the, it's the two-minute instigator. You get the five for fighting and then the 10-minute misconduct. You're right, Becky. Sharon Govich did not come back to the game. I don't know if he was hurt in the fight. I don't know if maybe they get, they piled another misconduct on top. I honestly don't know either. But um, I agree with you both. I, I just it's, – it's, it's very – it's annoying, right? Because – you know, the thing that I think appeals to most people who are hockey fans is like the combination of speed and skill and beauty and grace of right this uh, of this amazing sport being played on ice. And then you have the sort of like, you know, the brute physicality of it, which, um, you know, if you have the right mix of those things, it, it makes hockey an incredibly entertaining product. But then, you know, it turns it into a sideshow when a kid like Schneider, like I said, just does his job, steps up on a guy, separates him from the puck, throws a clean hit, and then has to answer for it. Just it's ridiculous. So I uh, couldn't agree more. Um, I want to stick with Schneider for a bit and then we'll move on. Um, Rob, should he be playing every game? And, and what do you think that uh, third defense pair should be? I see no reason why he shouldn't be playing every game. Um, I'm glad they tried Braun Schneider. Um, I did not. Somebody came up with me on Twitter before that, but I mean, it was it was definitely in my list of like nine pairs to try in the third, <laughs> in the uh, mm-hmm. in, as the third pair with 12 games to go. So I mean, I'm glad. I don't know if that'll stick, but if it does, I you know I'm I'm a believer. There's some numbers to back up doing a left hand right hand pair long term. But in the short term, if if Nemeth can't get it done or anybody else, you might as well just play your best option, even if that means a right-handed defenseman on the left side. And I think Braun can handle that. He's done it a little bit back in his San Jose days as well, so it's not like it's completely foreign to him. Um, yeah, but Schneider's the rock there. It's just a matter of finding a defensive complement that's going to be um, basically good enough to run with him and also now good enough to run with this bottom six that is going to go create chances as opposed to just chip it out and hope to survive 60 seconds. Yeah, so let's move on to that, because one of the things I wanted to discuss, with, especially with the impending uh, return to full health of this roster, you know, is Capo Caco. Now, Kevin Rooney is going to come back as well. No disrespect to him, but I think we know he kind of joins the fourth line revolving door that, you know, involves Johnny Brzezinski, Dryden Hunt, uh, Ryan Reeves will get a game here and there. You know, I think that's, you know, Reeves' ultimate, you know, the right role for him is to kind of be a spot a spot player, but not someone who you rely upon to play 12 minutes every night. Um, and I think Barkley Goodrow is also going to have to drop down to the fourth line because Capocago is coming back. Now, uh, I would love your guys' thoughts on where he should be because I think you can make a case that he really is a fit on any of the top, you know, the top three lines in the top nine, right? I mean, he's not going to play on the fourth line, but, you know, I think there is some, there are also some drawbacks to putting him in any of those spots. So, um, Becky, I don't know if you have any thoughts to start. Um, where do you, where do you see Kako uh, fitting when he gets back from his injury, which should be within, a, I think, a week or so? 
sorry, my um, vocals. So was there any, um, is there merit to the, the whole, like, he shouldn't play with Strom and Perrin because they, like, don't like playing with him? Like, is that a real <laughs> thing that's happening? Serious question. Well, no, it's a great question. I, I mean, I, I there have been rumors, and I think there have been some whispers about that. But, uh, like, I, I've seen, you know, maybe uh, everyone's favorite Rangers reporter, Larry Brooks, sort of, like, slightly insinuate that uh, because of his style of play, because he's a guy who, like, holds on to the puck um, and, you know, kind of wants the puck on his stick. Panarin wants the puck on his stick. Basically, there's not enough puck to go around. Um, and I think Stroman Panarin may feel like they um, just aren't a good good fit with him. Um, I mean, Rob, Rob, have you heard anything to that effect as well? I mean, I think it's been put out there on Twitter. I just, I don't know how real it is, to Becky's question. No, and, and yeah, I, I have no insight on that. I'm obviously a believer in if, if you can find success, um, <laughs> the coach should be treating these individuals like adults and talking it through and everybody's <laughs> on the team, but uh, who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big assumption there. Yeah, I feel like massive. Not, a, lot of, a lot of corporations don't go by that still. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Also, that's, I feel like, especially Panarin, not, it's funny, you know, you're like, oh, Panarin's like slumping this year. And then you look and he has like 65 assists in like 65 games or something ridiculous like that. Um, I, I like, I don't know, but I will say it's a good problem to have. Well, it sounds like you're leaning towards putting him with Panarin and Strong. Yeah, I, well, I am, but like. Again, you know, if you're when Strom just came back and he was actually productive and good, yes, uh, on at the Jesus, I can't speak, guys, um, against the devil. So I don't know if you want to mess with that, but also like if you want to find lines, like now is the time to do it before the playoffs. So yeah, Rob, where are you penciling in? I mean, Taco? ultimately, I land on the good problem to have as well. So I've got a couple of scattered thoughts here. First of all, Kreider, Zibanejad, and Vitrano, since being linked together, are running like a 58% expected goal rate. And they're just, their shots for are through the roof, which is what you want to see from arguably your, you know, one of the top two lines. Cop is also probably a good fit with Panarin and Strom. Um, they're, I think they're running like a 51% only because they got pushed in during that Hurricanes game, which was easily the worst game after the deadline. But what's seemingly good about Cop is Strom and Panarin kind of like to not float, but they kind of like to sit back and Cop will go in and be that first four checker and possibly retain a little bit. And he's super smart in terms of how he approaches into that, his angles into the corners. So I don't know if I want to break that up. I mean, that was one one line idea that when he got traded to the Rangers kind of popped up on Twitter for sure. But then the third problem, or not problem, but just something to consider is I really think Gallant likes Goodrow and Heedle together because as much as I will be uh, promoting Philip Heedle long-term with the Rangers, <laughs> just like I do with my defense pair ideas, um, I think he loves the idea of Goodrow actually taking the faceoffs for the third line, and then Hedo flows in and during the run of play um, uh, back to center, if you will, and, and Goodrow goes to the wing. Right. So if you throw Vitrano down there and you just throw Kako up there or even Cop, I guess you could do that with Cop though. So maybe I just solved my own dilemma here as I talk out or think out loud. <laughs> I guess my point is, I think Kako you could start him coming back from injury on the third line with Hedo and Lafreniere. Um, ease him back in. Hopefully he has the same relative defensive impacts and there's creating offense as well because Hedo and Lafreniere are both playing much better than even 
uh, four or five months ago. Um, mm-hmm. That said, you know, Gallant does run pretty even time on ice across his top three lines. So dropping Cop to the third line and doing that center thing with Hedo and Cop is also an option. And maybe Kako slides in with Panera and Strom. Um, I think really what would be interesting is just watch Petrano. He could obviously drop to the third line, be fine, shoot first with Hedo and Lafreniere, fantastic. But is Kako ready to return to full top line minutes with Gardner's advantage? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, to me, and this is one of those things that uh, I know we probably shouldn't, uh, coaches, I should say, the coach and, and, and the and the Rangers, you know, as an organization, probably shouldn't let this drive their, their decision-making process as much. But I do think they, the Rangers going into their first playoffs in five years would be very hesitant to run a very young third line, right? Lafreniere, Hedl, and Kako, if that ended up being it. So, um, look, do I agree with that line of thinking? No, because to your point, Rob, Lafreniere and Hedl have been excellent the last six weeks or so. I mean, you know, Hedl, um, you know, say what you want about whether or not it was the right tactic or not. It seemed like the illness into healthy scratch for a few games worked. He came back and just played much better. I know he scored a goal when he got back, but he's been, I think, noticeably um, impacting every single game uh, on both ends of the ice and, you know, particularly in creating offense. And, you know, I think you want your third line to be an offensive line that feasts on the other team's bottom six and and, and bottom pair, right? So um, Heedle can definitely be that guy. And I think... You know, again, uh, if you go with an extremely young third line, I suppose the worry there is defense. But Kako has is a pretty good defensive player. The metrics kind of bear that out. Um, you know, you match him up against the other team's bottom six when you can, and I think you could probably work with it. You know, I think what they'll probably do is start with Kako on the third line, like you said, Rob, probably even just from the standpoint of like, look, we're not going to chuck you into 22 minutes or whatever it would be at even strength, 14, yep. 15, 18 minutes, even strength right away. Let's let's get you in on 12, 13 minutes, you know, with Lafreniere and Hedl, who he's played with before. Um, and then if he's really going and if he's really playing well, maybe he maybe he flip-flops with, Vitr- with Vitrano. And then Vitrano, you know, drops to the third line, kind of becomes the veteran on that line, you know, pretty responsible two-way player. He's a pest who will dig in the corners and he'll shoot the hell out of the puck, as we've said. So... Um, it should be interesting. I mean, I just, you know, and then I think the, the, the ancillary benefit is you end up with a fourth line of, you know, Tyler Mott and Barkley Goodrow. And then you have that rotating, you know, third forward or center position, which is Brodzinski, uh, Kevin Rooney, Dryden Hunt, and even Reeves. So that's a pretty good fourth line. I mean, I'm, I'm going to battle with that fourth line in the playoffs with any other team's fourth line for sure. Great, we've solved it all. <laughs> there you go. All they need to do is listen to this podcast. Um, so, any? Do you have any other thoughts, guys, just about lineups? About about? I know we. I think we have a question about defense pairs, so maybe we can save that we one. Do, but yeah, um, I just. But you know, just just one last thing on trends. So, what's going to be interesting is you know we've got basically three three and a half weeks left here. It's going to be interesting to see if anybody attacks the Rangers' schedule as to how they played after the deadline in terms of playoff predictions. Um, right. Specifically, 
I, I like what you said earlier, Rob, about a lot of these games since the deadline of, of the eight, almost maybe outside of one or two, none of them have felt out of control. It's felt like the Rangers have been in control, which happens when you're leading the shots and chances. But the reason I bring this up is, I mean, yes, it's going to be key how they play against the Hurricanes, um, how they play against the Bruins, how they play against the Penguins. But, I mean, the Devils are no slouch. They, if they get a goalie next year, that they could be real trouble. Even the Sens coming this Saturday are still hovering around 50% expected goals at 5-on-5. Five five. So, I mean, they're not playing teams that are – they're not playing the Coyotes every other night. Let's just put it that way. So, right. it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's really good for them to be playing well. Hopefully, they don't peak too early or anything like that. But I just want to – I'm curious to see when the playoff prediction articles come out in a couple weeks here, if anybody points that out. Yeah, because your point being that they've they've played what looks like a weak schedule, right? Right, on win losses, win and win and loss record, bingo, right? win loss record. Yep, right. So, yeah, the thought would be, well, yeah, sure, they've gotten better since the deadline, uh, but it's because they're playing weak opponents, and and that's I agree, that's not necessarily the case. I, I'm really interested to see because we're going to end up with about what a quarter of a season worth of, of games right about 20 games between uh the deadline or let's say the vetrano trade and the end of the season i'm going to be really interested to see where they end up in terms of just their their expected goals and and you know all those numbers because yep. uh, you know i can't remember a team uh in the last 10 years or since they've been tracking that data that that has played this well at five on five both ends of the ice you know there there were there have been plenty of teams that have generated plenty of offense, but really, you know, defense has been the Rangers' problem, whether it's rush defense or in zone. It's kind of been both, depending on the year. But um, the, the combination of offense and defense, I think, is probably about as good as it's been since the deadline that I can remember. I mean, am I wrong there, Rob? I mean, you know, and if they keep it up, are they looking to be, at least in that 20-game sample, one of the best ranger teams of the sort of like shot location era yep absolutely i mean for the first 50 games their expected goals barely broke the top 20 in terms of per 60 of five on five and the goals against was fluctuating it was never bad but now they're a top five goals against team definitely in the last eight games and obviously we need a little bit more we want to see the 20 game run or so but i mean if they stay in the top 10 they're going to be one of the strongest teams defensively we've seen um, since the shot location era started in 2007. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it'll be, it'll, it's going to be a fun ride to, you know, just to see how they perform in these games. I mean, the, the two games against the Hurricanes at, at Madison Square Garden are going to be incredible. Um, and look, the Rangers are, are only two points behind the Canes as we speak. So, should be a fun race to the end. All right. I know we've got some fan questions. So, Becky, I'm going to throw it over to you. And, um, you read them out. We'll see what we got here. It's always a, it's always fun. It's always a mixed bag, quite literally. Yeah. All right. So first question. We're very happy to have you on, Rob Luker. Why is the Miller and Truba line pairing working so well now? And that was from at Debrat two thousand three. Yep. So short answer is their shots and scoring chances against are way down, and that started pretty much almost thirty games ago. That trend started. So, and I do think the majority of the reason of that is we've seen Keandre Miller really step into his own the second half of this season here. Um, you know, Truba obviously gets paid a good amount of money. They made that trade a while ago. It was still a win for Neil Pionk. Um, that being said, Miller is the one that's made that pair into what it is. Um, 
I still think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Ryan Lindgren over the summer, especially given the cap upcoming. I think he's ready to play with Adam Fox on a nightly basis. Um, but really, the, the, statistically speaking, it's just because their shots and chances against are down. And watch him on the ice. Just just ISO on Miller. He is mm-hmm. big enough to make up any ground that he loses. He's gonna make the. He's making a lot of great decisions with the puck when he does have it. And when forwards enter his side of the zone specifically, it's either maybe a shot around him, which great, you take that fifty foot shot every single time. Or it's straight to the corner while they try to get around him and then realize they can't because he's like seven foot tall and skates. So that's <laughs> okay. That's what I'm seeing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you said ISO, right? So now here's my question that I'm going to ask the two of you: How do you feel about ISO cam? Oh God! Oh God! No, never <laughs> oh, again. No. <laughs> here's Fox. You ISO know what? You know they need to make it bigger. Just make it eighty percent of the screen next time. That will notice it. <laughs> Who cares about the game? So, as someone who has worked in uh, production and kind of sports media at very various points in my career, I understand what they were trying to do, but the execution was awful. <laughs> you know, what they should probably do with that is sort of offer it as like a second screen experience, right? Tell people like, go to the MSG app if you want to pull up like the Adam Fox ISO cam and like, but bring more to it, right? Don't just like have it be like, a second camera in the balcony of Madison Square Garden like try to bring more to it I don't know maybe mic the guy up you know obviously he doesn't have the he has the personality of a of a white wall but um you know I and I love Adam Fox dearly so I you know I, I I don't mean that I don't mean that in a harmful way but you know again not not the most interesting person on on the Rangers especially who are a team that actually has a decent amount of personality as far as NHL teams goes um you got to make it more interesting you've got to uh You've got to go beyond just putting a, a one camera angle on the guy and don't do it on the regular broadcast because people just want to watch the game. And I think that um, it's been something that, that all these networks try this stuff and then everybody gets pissed off and Twitter goes nuts and then they go back to the normal game broadcast. So, that, yeah, no ISO cam. That, that idea 100% came out of like the February Olympic, non-Olympic break. And they let off the meeting with, all right, guys, there's there's no bad ideas. Let's just talk out loud. And then somebody actually ran with it. Just completely brutal. There's no stupid questions. Right. Stupid people. <laughs> all right, guys. Good. Um, yeah, Keandre. I would actually love a Keandre isocam. So anyway, um, Matt, so at Butterfly Pain 12, which is an interesting name. When sh- this is this question hurts me. When should Igor cut his hair? Traditional hockey pundits value the hockey hair flow, but it must be annoying stuffing all the hair under the mask. Presumably, with a buzz cut, there'd be less hair and sweat in his eyes, and he wouldn't need a hairband. I'm gonna just hop in right now and say, if you get rid of the headband, you get rid of the person. Okay, so we're not getting rid of it. <laughs> and I will give the rest of the question to one of the Robs. I mean. I'm a big uh, proponent of, I mean, first of all, these guys could do what they want. He could grow it all the way down his back if he wants. But um, to me, looks like he's been working on that for at least a couple of years. I think maybe at the end of the season, you know, maybe it's just you go into, you go into each season with a new, uh, a new haircut and go from there. But, uh, you know, if you look at uh, the pictures of him when he first came over in 2019, he had it pretty short. So to me, it looks like he probably has not had a, an actual haircut since then. Um, but it's a great look for him, and, and the headband definitely completes the vibe. Oh, the headband. 
look, you can't do a slow-mo, uh, you know, hair soaked with water flip up for the playoff camera mm-hmm. if you're if you got a buzz cut. That's all Hell I gotta yeah. say. It's so Hell true. yeah. That is so true. Or like the running the hand through the hair and then like putting the headband in. God, you can't come yep. up. Yep. And then spitting come after on. right on camera, making your mother mm. proud, exactly. It's beautiful. <laughs> um yeah, I think that's probably right though, slutty. Um, that it would be a, like a new season thing, like a la Jacob Degrom before his arm fell off. So I think that's a right. That's a good shout. Okay. Um, our very own Tyler asks off season kind of question, but who would you want the Rangers to target as a backup goaltender with Georgiev's days in New York all but done? I don't know. I mean, this is. I, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I always... just, you know what? I was gonna say. Yeah, go ahead, Becky. I was gonna say like Alaire just kind of makes people okay backups. So I yeah. don't know. Tyler, great question. You always have the uh, uh, the the eye for the future, but I'll just uh, sort evolving hockey's contract projection for goaltenders by least to most, and just pick the cheapest backup and let Alaire go to work. I, maybe that would meet Keith Kincaid, so maybe not. But I, I'm, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm sure they'll find some obscure Finn that's playing in like the second league and bring him over, and all of a sudden he'll be Shesterkin's heir in four years, something like that. I don't oh, know. Jesus, I feel like. I, um... Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say I feel like Tyler may have asked this question because he knows that Dave is actually Georgiev's burner. Um, so it's a shame that Dave's not on the podcast tonight, but I'm sorry, Rob, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, yeah, it's true by the way. Yeah. And we, we have kind of, we have the, the sun and the moon of the Alexander Georgiev, I think, uh, you know, uh, range of takes in our group chat. Uh, so if you follow Tyler, if you follow Dave, you're going to get uh, all sides of the Alexander Georgiev, uh, discourse, but no, to me, look, it's an important position. I, I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to underrate the importance of having a good backup, especially because as we're seeing with Igor, look, we don't know why he's going through the slump he's going through, but he is struggling. That's a thousand percent fair to say. And it could be a workload issue. I mean, the guy's never played more than 35 or whatever the number is, 38 games in a, in a pro season before. So regardless of, look, he needs to be able to play more than that. So that let's just put that to the side, but you're, you don't want to ask this guy to play 55, 60 games in an NHL regular season. You need somebody who can come in and play 30 to 35 games and be okay with the role. And that's ultimately the thing with Georgiev. You know, whether or not he uh, this was uh, actually the case, he definitely went into this season feeling like he could, quote-unquote, win the starter's job. And he started on opening night, if you remember. Obviously, it was the first game of a back-to-back. They went home after the Caps game and played Dallas in the second game of the year. So it made sense that each goalie was going to get one game, but he probably thought he had a chance to win the job. Then Igor goes on that ridiculous run by, by the sixth game of the year, he was already putting up absurd numbers. And that was that. So look, you need a guy who is knows how to be a backup. That is a big part of it. Not just, you know, physically and not just have the, the requisite talent, but also mentally. So I don't know who that is, but that guy is definitely out there and is going to make less than, that's, two and a half million or whatever Alexander Georgiev makes. That's a good that's a good point, Rob. So I, I could see Drury going veteran for that reason. Just to make it extremely yep. clear that it's just Durkin's net and you're just the backup. Because Georgiev probably does want to go somewhere and, and get a shower, starter shot, and that's perfectly fine. But it's Igor's net in New York, so I could see him going veteran. Yeah. yeah. 
I think it, I think it's probably the right call. Yep. All right, and then uh, friend of the pod, Jess Jessica Lynn three twelve asked two questions. So we'll start with the first: Who will have the best playoff beard, and who will have the worst? That's the first question combined. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what, and we've been you know we've been singing his praises, rightfully so. Um, I'm scared of what's gonna be on Keandre Miller's face if they end up going on a long playoff. <laughs> That's going to look really weird, whatever it is. I, I I don't like what he's got going on right now, to be fair. Um, I think he's got like a very thin goatee. Um, not my favorite choice for facial hair, although, again, to each his own. But yeah, definitely worried about that getting wispy and patchy and weird. So um, I'm going to go Keandre's going to have a pretty bad beard. Um, I'll go... I'll go Hito on the bad side. Oh, I think yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, That's a good one, too. Yeah. He's shown some stubble out there, but, man, I, I don't see it coming in like like somebody else's. <laughs> I just feel yeah. like we have a lot of opportunity for bad, <laughs> to be honest, because yeah, they're all, like, well, I mean, six Lind- years old. Like, yeah, what's well, Lindgren also awful. Oh, well, like, Paco's he's, like, Amish. Yeah. No disrespect to the Amish out there, but, you know, it's very So, wait, you go, Becky. Who do you think's going to have the worst? Um... So, okay, so it's weird because I don't think Schneider could grow anything. Um, I'm just a, looking right now. He's a big man. Yeah. Yeah. He's shaving every day, I think. <laughs> God. Um, I don't know. Like, Lafreniere, I think Loki might be able to actually grow a decent beard. He's got the heavy goatee look. Yeah. yeah he's usually got something. He's usually got something. I think I think his will be good. I mean, look, I'll go easy for the best. I'm I'm going Goodrow. There's just yeah, that's really where that, yeah. that playoff experience comes in. That's going to be just nice and even, real thick, um, long but not unkempt looking. His is going to be really really nice. So I'm I'm going Goodrow for the best. Crider and Crider and Zabanajad could end up looking like professors if it goes real well. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. <laughs> yeah. No, I like Goodrow. I think I'm going to take Strom as the worst though. Oh. There's yeah. something about just like he's like the like one of the grown men on the team, right? I don't know. He doesn't really have a whole lot there, so. Yeah. And then oh, I think he just like took he I think he just took an offensive penalty while we're still not even playing. <laughs> game, so. Oh god. Cops got to watch that too to be fair. He's taking a lot of bad stick fouls <laughs> all over the ice. I wonder what so color cops like facial about hair will guys. be. Like what color his beard's going to be cuz he's so blonde. Uh, yeah, he's He'll be good though. He's got a good. He's got the right look for it. He's kind of grizzled. Matches with the dark visor, so. smoked visor. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And Jess's second question is, and I think we have the right level of uh, mental illness on this podcast now for this question. Um, do you have any superstitions during playoff season? I love this question. Oh man. <laughs> That's because you're crazy. So I'll, mine's not – this is an every game thing. It's I'm, I don't care where I watch a game, but once I settle in, <laughs> this is so dumb. But if, <laughs> and even in this – this is Bill's season. I don't care if I'm watching golf and I'm cheering for one golfer or something. If, if they're doing well, I will just freeze in that position or try to stay in that position, whether, whether I'm sitting on the couch, at the bar, or whatever. You, you know what like, I'm saying? If you've got one arm up on oh, an yeah. armrest or something, it's got to stay there. Um, Wait. Wait, but during golf, like, doesn't that take like hours, like, like a full day? I'm a, I can be patient, Becky. Believe it or not. Do you have like? Do you like? 
I don't know how to ask this question. What do you do if nature calls? Oh, I mean, well, there's commercial breaks. I'm not that. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm, not okay. I'm not like not moving, but okay. during the game, if you will, during the okay. action. <laughs> okay. Fair. 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 Okay. All right. So that's yeah. That's that's, that's my sicko, sicko thing. <laughs> Rob, um, you know, I don't really. I actually don't really have that much. Um, you know. I do, uh, I, I will, and, and this is not during regular season, you know, it depends on the night, of course, I'll, I'll have a beer here and there, but during a playoff game, and I, and I, I also won't do this every single night uh, now, I, I think I would maybe more when I was a younger man, but I, I do like to sort of like open a new beer at the start of each period, so like, and I, but I'll limit myself to just those three beers during the game, so like I'm not getting, you know, ridiculously drunk or anything like that. It's also, for the most part, it's been... Budweiser and I don't know why it kind of there's like some family and friends jokes about you know Budweiser being sort of the perfect uh match uh for a certain type of Ranger fan at Madison Square Garden um but heavy as we as as it is affectionately known um so yeah I I would often grab a six pack of Bud Heavy for you know uh, a two playoff game stint one per period that was it and then um like I said and I would kind of open a new one as the period begins but other than that I mean you know, I don't love like I, if the TV volume is on a number I don't like, I'll move it one one way or the other. Other than that, I'm probably I'm probably pretty normal actually. I'm just talking a lot. Like I'm a talker. Becky knows this because she watches every game with me. Like skate, do you know? Like Psycho. like I'm saying things Shoot. to the TV that like yeah, and not just yeah, not and also just like I don't know. Nice play, good read, nice pass. Like, and it's just it's ridiculous because I'm a you know grown man sitting in my living room. But um, <laughs> no, they hear you. Yeah, the no bench. real, they hear you. Yeah, <laughs> I was uh, I was doing work the other night and I had my headphones on. I was like, I just need to like truck through because work's just been pretty aggressive for a couple of months now. And I'm like at the little like breakfast bar thing, typing away, excelling away, and I just keep on hearing like Rob talking. And so I keep on taking out a headphone. And I'm just like, what? And he's like, oh, I'm talking to the Rangers. So I'm just like, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking to you. Like, put my headphones back in and I hear it again. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, it was torture. Um, and I don't think that work got done. But that was more that was more on me. I needed to just tone it out. But he does. He talks a lot. Um, my superstition, I don't, like, I, I used to be more superstitious and actually just knows this. But it used to be, like, the manicure of the manicure was good if they want a game then you can't change it if it was bad even if you just got your nails done you have to change it um wearing like, certain things on certain game days or whatever and this is all like especially in like the cup finals i um i'm a psychopath though and like if you get too like if you get too far into the series or into the playoffs like i will not watch games away from my home mm. like i'm not well i should not be in public um, and yeah, more so just like if I'm in a spot on the couch and they won the game, then I'm watching the next game in that spot on the couch. Um, and if a game is going not great, like I will like move around. And I did this actually with the, the Flyers game or was it, or was it the Devils game? I was like sitting and I'm like, no, I need to go to the Ottoman. Like I need to like sit on there. I need to like lay on my stomach and watch the game or something. And like it worked. So... What does that mean, you know? There you go. But actually, I would love to hear if 
our listeners have made it this far, I would love to hear what some of y'all's superstitions are because oh yeah, that could get like real sick real fast. Could be a good one yes. to adopt out there. You never know. Yeah. Community. Um, and that's it for the questions. So that was a that was a fun little bunch. Thanks everyone for submitting. Awesome. So before we go, I've got I've got one non Rangers related question to ask Rob with Masters Weekend upon us. Oh no. Um, <laughs> so I, I know you're in several pools and you've got your you know you've got several irons in the fire. Let's say, but <laughs> if you had to give me if you had to give me one name, who are you feeling about? Who are you feeling for this weekend to uh, to take home the green jacket? Oh man, that's impossible. This is worse than even trying to bet on a single NHL game. Um, yeah. It is, yeah. All right. Well, I am a sicko. I listen to golf podcasts, too. So <laughs> one name. All right. I'm going to give a value pick. One name that everybody's not going to hear maybe a lot. Or if you are the betting type, you could probably get a good number on this individual. Shane Lowry, an Irish guy, mm. uh, playing extremely well. Um, very good around the greens, which you need around Augusta. And like I said, he is not necessarily a top 10 favorite or anything like that. So... If you want to throw a dollar on him, you could maybe, you know, buy yourself a 12-pack after with that win. So, Shane Lowry. Nice. I like it. Becky's got some skin in the game, too, this weekend. Yeah, I threw money on Tiger before I knew that he was confirmed. So, I figure if he makes the cut, I'm probably just going to cash that out. But if he wins, I think it's probably him being plus 5,000 is probably not great for the books but we'll see yeah i think a, a few americans will, will have placed legal wagers i think on tiger woods to win this yeah. this weekend for sure yeah um should be fun i'm pulling for justin thomas i am uh, i am in a, uh, a season-long golf pool yeah i mean we've been saving them you know it's kind of like one of those survivor things you can only use a golfer once you have to pick one for each tournament I'm doing with a friend of mine. Uh, we are not in very good standing right now, so we really need to hit on a few actual winners because you get, you know, based on where they finish, you get points, or it basically equates to the uh, whatever they win out of the purse from that tournament. So yep. um, we're having an awful year, frankly. I think we're in the bottom ten, so we we need to literally hit like three or four winners, I think, to get back in this thing. So um, I'm all Justin Thomas this weekend. He's got he's got uh, Phil Mickelson's right, old caddy. So there we go. Oh, there we go. Yeah, he know he knows the grounds. That's for sure. Um, Rob, it's been a pleasure. I think we'll we'll definitely aim to have you back on um, another time, maybe before the playoffs, maybe during the playoffs. I think we're. I, I haven't. I didn't have a chance to look before the show. I believe the Rangers are at least Larry Brooks seems to think. Again, we we'll probably have to fact check that uh, that they are four points from clinching. Uh, so. Uh, I think two wins, uh, two more wins would would solidify um, the Rangers in a playoff spot. I think that would put them out of reach of the Islanders, who are currently in ninth place. And wouldn't that be nice to sort of clinch and then, you know, basically say, sorry, Islanders, you can't catch us. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've got playoffs coming up. It should be a really exciting last month of the season. Always a pleasure, Rob. And any uh, final thoughts before you go? Thank you. No, and I think uh... – Tyler Mott's going to get the game winner for when the Rangers clinch the playoff game. Or playoffs, I should say. If that makes love any that. sense. Love he that. does not score often, but he's, yeah, he's, he's a, uh, he's going to pop. He's going to be a big game guy. Yeah. I could see it. Um, all right. Becky, Rob, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye.